were men, and they knew how to act when the chips were down. And everybody had at least two guns and a horse, and they drank hard liquor straight up, and they talked like Clint Eastwood, and they swagger like John Wayne. And they get away with it, because the women all loved it. That was, that's what they were looking for. If I try and talk like Clint Eastwood or swagger like John Wayne at home, Wendy just rolls her eyes at me. <laughs> you can't get away with that in these here parts, Pilgrim. There were no lime green capri shorts. There were no pink golf shirts with white collars. There were no iPods filled with Andrew Lloyd Webber show tunes. These guys were men. They were serious men. And in the clip, Dan is a farmer and he is hired onto a posse to get the notorious outlaw, Ben Wade, to the 310 train in Yuma in order to face justice. And as the story goes on, the men are killed and men drop away in fear and Ben Wade's gang ride in to free him. And in the end, even as you saw there, Mr. Butterfield, good name for him, Mr. Butterfield melts away. He loses his nerve and he turns back and he just wants to run away and he gives Dan a way out. He says he'll even pay him the $200 bounty, even if he quits. But Dan, as you saw there, had to make a decision about what was right. Dan had to make a decision about what he had to do to honor his word, what he had to do to protect his family in the long run if this gang gets away, or what he has to do to protect his county and his community if justice isn't done. And so, Dan, it's not about the money. It's about what needs to be done, uh, the right thing to do and the proper thing to do, that justice is done and people are kept safe. And so Dan says to his boy, you've grown to be a fine man. You've become a fine man. And that's our question today. What is it to be a man? What is it that Dan, in his way, was communicating to his son to say that he had become a man? And when guys watch scenes like this, it speaks to our soul. Because it speaks to who we are and what we are called to in God's purpose. It's sort of what we're wired for. And so when we see these films and we get onto this topic of fathers and, and Father's Day, uh, it just really speaks to the soul of men. And we have a very short text today for Father's Day. Um, keep it simple for us guys. And uh, it's 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14, it says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now from that text, I want to take five points. And if you were paying attention, you probably picked out what the five points are. They are, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and do it in love. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to look into your word and to uh, ask ourselves this question. What did you mean for us to be men? What does it mean for us to be fathers of our own children, uh, to be husbands of our wives, to be leaders in our church and in our community? How would you have us behave? And what can we learn from your scripture? We just ask that your Holy Spirit would be here with us and open this up to us in Christ's name. Amen. 
So Paul is concluding his first letter to the church in Corinth, and we actually spent several weeks looking at the first half of this letter. We finished up about 11 sermons on it. So you remember that Corinth is a port town, and it's situated on uh, the narrowest point in the Greek isthmus, and uh, it's about uh, just south of Athens. And because of its location, uh, Corinth is a very busy trade port. It's a port town. It's a sailor town, as you would expect. And uh, pretty much every ship in the region passed through Corinth instead of going all the way down around the southern tip. And uh, what they would do is they would bring it out on one side of the peninsula, and they would drag it seven miles across land and drop it in the water on the other side. And uh, it was just easier uh, to do that than sail all the, way, all the way around the dangerous cape to the south. And it was noted for its wealth and for the sort of luxurious and immoral habits of the people. It was pretty much just like North America today. And it was a rough sailor town. Obviously, it was filled with men who were strong enough to drag ships across seven miles of land. Uh, so you can imagine it was a pretty tough place. And uh, it was filled with false philosophies, and it was uh, filled with... Uh, uh, sort of a melting pot of cultures, and it was uh, just a place that where Paul's letter to this church in Corinth reflects the difficulty that this church was having in maintaining a Christian testimony in the midst of this. And we talked about a lot of that. It's a quick review. We talked about that in our series on the first half of Corinth, Corinthians. And so in his final admonition here, near the end of the letter, to the men and the brothers that he lists there in the letter, he talks about a couple of different guys brothers in Christ, he says to them to be watchful and stand firm and to act like men and be strong and do it in love. Paul is making an admonition to this church that the men need to act like men if this church is going to survive. That in the midst of this culture, it's going to be very difficult for them to be the church that God calls them to be if the men are not men. And so his first admonition to them is to be watchful, to be alert. The word is... Gregorio, which literally means to be alert or awake. It's the opposite of lethargic or complacent. So Paul says basically, wake up, be alert, men, be watchful. And are we alert? Are we continually alert at all times as men, as I speak to men especially today? Are we on our guard? Or if we look back over the last few months or even the last couple of years, have we let the enemy creep in in different places? Has our alertness waxed and waned? Has it sort of faded away and become a little bit complacent so that we're not alert anymore? Or that we were seasons when we weren't alert and things crept into our life or crept into our home and we didn't really notice them. And we need to maybe now deal with them and be awake and alert and find those things now. Alert for the things of God. We have to be watchful for the things of God. Mark 13 says... Be alert. You don't know the hour that I will come. He says that if we're not on our guard, Christ may come. And I, he means this literally. I, I could just come and sort of catch you unawares. Um, but I, I think you can also read it that Christ could come or the challenge of Christ could come or the appearance of Christ could come or the calling of Christ could come on your life. And if you're not alert and you're not watchful as a man, then you could miss it. God could be calling you to something, or he could be saying, here's something you need to be watchful of, or here's something I'm calling you to do. But if you're not awake, and you are lethargic, and you are complacent, then, men, we can miss it if we're not alert for the things of God that he calls us to in Mark 13. Or are we alert for enemies? In Acts, Paul is beseeching the elders in tears, he says, that after he leaves the church, 
that wolves will come in sheep's clothing, even from among yourselves. And so as men of the church, when Paul gives this admonition to the Corinthians to be watchful, he's saying you have to be alert, you have to be on your guard, not only to be alert for the things of God, but to be alert for the enemy. Because the enemy can creep in when we are complacent or we are lethargic and we are not paying attention. And so as men in our families and men in the church, we have to be constantly alert to how the enemy acts and his tricks and his schemes. The Bible says we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. We can be aware of how he acts and how he tries to creep in, and we need to be alert to that. In Jude, the book of Jude, he says we are to be watchful for false prophets. We are to be watchful for false teaching. You know, it's great that you, when I start preaching and I hear the leaves of the Bibles rustling and the pages turning, that's great because you have to be constantly on your guard, even of me. I'm not saying to worry about me, but you have to be on your guard, even of the people who are teaching. You need to look in Scripture and see whether what Paul is saying, me Paul, not Paul the Apostle, what Paul is saying it makes, makes sense whether what I'm saying aligns with the Word of God. You have to be watchful, Jude says, because there will be false teachers and false prophets who will come in and just try to tell you the stuff you want to hear, and you need to be alert to it. So, men, I give you that challenge, just as Paul did here, that we have to be watchful. We have to be alert. We have to be looking for the things of God, how He's calling us, and not asleep when He puts opportunity in front of us. We have to be alert for the enemy. We have to be alert for Satan and how he can creep into the church and into our families. And we have to be alert for false teaching. And to be alert for false teaching, it means we have to know our Bible. I can get up here and say whatever I want. If you've never read the Bible or you're not in the Word every day, then how will you know whether what I'm teaching is of God? And so we need to be in the Scripture and aware and alert and understanding what is being taught so that we can guard against these things. Another thing, to be alert and watchful against unrighteousness and apathy. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, let us not sleep as others do to the church. He says, let's not just be complacent. Don't do the unrighteous. Don't live lazy Christian lives. And we know Peter says that Satan is like a prowling lion who is searching for people to devour. And so there are admonition after admonition after admonition in the scriptures, that men are to be awake, that Christian men need to be alert, that we need to be watchful, first of all. And for men, we need to be alert for the typical male traps, right? The typical male traps that we run into of wanting new things. Most guys like toys. I've noticed that up here, actually. I kind of fell into the trap. I got a snowmobile, I got a boat, you know, I got all this stuff, now I got to take care of it all. Mark's telling me, your snowmobile's still outside, Paul. You gotta put stable in it and then put it in and all this stuff, you know. I like the toys as much as anybody. But we have to be alert as men for those typical male traps. That the world is always out there tempting us. You need another toy. You need another car. You need a bigger car. You need a faster snowmobile. That's a good thing. That's good for his industry. But, you know, you need, you need new things all the time. And not that those things are bad but that we don't make them our idols or that we're just alert that they're not distracting us. Or being worried as men about having too little money or distracted by too much money. That we can let our finances as men consume us and we need to be alert that we don't get sucked into that trap of having money consume us. Or discontent and thanklessness. You know, life is hard. It is but it's not hard for you to whine and complain about it. It's hard for you to man up and meet the challenge. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul gives detail after detail after detail of just how hard his life was. 
And we've seen in his writing that most of his manner is not the most gentle. And I'm sure his response to soft men in his time compared to his life would not be very gracious because he was beat on, he was stoned until he was almost dead, he was kicked out of cities, he was shipwrecked, he was uh, imprisoned, and eventually gave his life at the hands of the government in order to preach the gospel. And so Paul's life was not easy, and so he would probably respond similar to God in Job 48, where he tells him to, you know, gird up your loins like a man, because I'm about to speak. You know, his approach to men would be, life is hard, but God has called us to bear up under that hardship. And so, man, we have to look out for these things. We have to watch out for the way that we are alert and how we are not asleep and how we are guarding our lives, looking for the things of God, watching for the enemy and everything else. There are hundreds of things that can go sideways. There are hundreds of things that can go off the rails in a church or in a family, and we have to be alert for all of them because they can be spotted by the same two characteristics, either disunity or sin, disunity or carnality or unrighteousness. And if either of those two things show up in your family or your church, then there's something to be alert for. And so, men, the first admonition here is simply to be alert for all these different things. We have to be on our guard, awake, and not lethargic, and not asleep at the wheel. The second thing Paul says is he says, be firm, stand firm. And so we ask ourselves as men, have we done that? Did we stand firm? Corinth, as I said, was a port town. It was at a crossroads. It was ideas and philosophies from all over the place coming in, and believers, Christians, had to stand firm. If they didn't stand firm, they would be blown every which way by every philosophy that came into town. And the church had to stand firm against that culture surrounding it and not to give in to the immorality and the compromise of the way that Corinth was going. Does that sound familiar? Are we in a culture that we have to stand firm in as men to not give in to the ways that the winds are blowing in our culture? That resonates with us today, doesn't it? That it seems like the church is standing firm and there are waves and tides that are washing over it and it wants to push the church over. It wants to blend the church into everything else that is going on. And Paul says that right here, men are to be watchful and then to stand firm, to not lose their footing in the culture, to not lose their footing in the things that wash over their family and their ideals and their morals and the church uh, scripture leading that we have. We can't give in to false ideas. We can't give in to immoral lifestyles. We can't give in to temptations or compromise. No matter how much it seems to pay off, it pays off more to stand firm. If we think that by giving in we're going to gain anything, that's the lie that many churches have bought into. It's the lie that a lot of mainline denominations bought into 60, 70 years ago. And we've seen those denominations, once they started to compromise, to just go sideways and sideways and sideways until they've lost their mooring on the Word of God and they've lost their footing on Scripture. And it's cost them far more to compromise than it would have cost them to stand firm. There's a legacy to our failure and there's a legacy to cowardice versus a legacy of victory. And as men, we want to have the legacy of victory. That was the legacy that Dan wanted to leave for his son, William. His legacy was going to be a legacy of victory, not a legacy of cowardice. He was going to see that the outlaws were put away and his family was safe and his farm was taken care of and his wife was taken care of and the water would flow and his herds would have water. He knew he had to stand firm in the face of what he was facing in order to have that legacy of victory. 
So remain steadfast, men, in what you know to be true. Like Noah, in the face of years and years of no rain, and a huge boat, and years of ridicule, stand firm. Like Moses, leading millions or more, a million or more Israelites across the desert, and all of their grumbling, and all of their complaining, and wanting to return back into slavery in Egypt, you stand firm like Moses for the victory of the promised land, or like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, refusing to bow and standing firm to the pressure of the king to bow and worship him. They, excuse me, stand firm in the furnace with the Son of God with them. And Jeremiah standing firm, preaching the word of God for decade after decade, while the southern kingdom declines and Israel falls away from God, he sees no fruit, decades of being a prophet, ridiculed and beat and ignored. And Jeremiah stands firm, preaching the word of God while the kingdom declines. And he stands firm on the promise of God that he would be made a tower, that he would be made a strong bastion among his enemies. Or Daniel, refusing to eat the king's meat and staying pure in what he felt God was leading him to be and not buying into the luxuries and the delicacies that the king of Babylon was tempting him with. Daniel standing firm against that and being more healthy than all the other king's men. Or Stephen, the uh, New Testament uh, Stephen, who faces the Pharisees and he gives that huge speech where he outlines to their face the error of their religion from Abraham all the way forward. And he knows at the end of this sermon, he's going to be stoned to death. (laughs) But he stands firm and delivers the sermon. I'm hoping I'm not going to be stoned to death at the end of this. (laughs) You know, there's a test of preaching when your death is at the end of it. But Stephen stood firm on his faith to teach and to tell and to warn the Pharisees of the error from Abraham forward and pain with his life. So men stand firm in all of these ways that we have examples in Scripture. And then Paul says, don't only be watchful, stand firm. He then says, act like men. Act like men. This alertness, this standing firm, this being strong, the love, it's all wrapped around this simple statement in the middle of this verse, which is to act like men. This is how men act, Paul is saying. These are the characteristics of men acting like men. And it's interesting here to me that Paul just assumes with a few basic descriptions and not more than a dozen words, Paul believes that he is able to clearly communicate how men are to act and that there's no gender ambiguity here. It's obvious to Paul what manhood looks like and he assumes that manhood is obvious to his readers and that when he can just say act like men, his readers know what he means. There is no gender ambiguity about manhood. And I don't say that to imply that the gender issues facing us in society today are simply black and white. They're not. But what I am saying is that the language that we use in defining gender needs clarity. If we don't have clear descriptions of womanhood and manhood, then how can we have faithful conversations about how those things are expressed? But that's a sermon for July, so we'll get there. Uh, But I just wanted to point out that when Paul speaks here with these few dozen words, there's no ambiguity. He believes when he says act like men, his readers know what act like men means. But there is no confusion about what manhood is. And so Paul could say act like men with certainty that his words meant something clear to his readers and they could act on them. And so first of all, what is it that we could just assume that Paul means when he says simply act like men? First of all, at the very least, he meant don't be boys. Don't be children. Be mature. Be men. 
Don't be babies. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 2, he says, But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. So mature is what Paul is saying. Be a man, don't be a boy. Be men. This is chapter 16 now. I'm no longer in chapter 3. I've taught you all these things. And so now that I've taught you all these things again, you've read this whole letter, I'm saying don't be spiritually infant anymore. Be men. Act like men in chapter 16. We're not in chapter 3. You have to start acting like men in your church, or your church will get washed over in the tide of Corinthian culture. And if men start acting like men, the following things will start to happen in your life and in the church. And I adapted this list from a book that I read by Kenny Luck called Risk, a great book. If any guy wants to read a good book, you could read anything by Kenny Luck, but Risk is a good one. But he gives this list of things that begin to happen when men begin to act like men in their family and in the church. He says the control freaks will become unnerved because you're trusting God. The rule followers will be unsettled because you're breaking with convention. The cautious will be angry because you are following a big, daring God. The traditionalists will shake their heads in dismay at what you're willing to sacrifice. The cowardly or apathetic will be angry because you are raising the bar on your faith. The approval addicts will be upset because you fear God more than man. (laughs) That's a good one. You will move into unknown, deep, and mysterious waters without knowing all the details. You will become a target because you are in front on the offensive. And that is what happens, Kenny says, when men begin to behave like men in the church. Now Paul says the same thing. He says it this way. In 1 Corinthians 4, 11 to 13, this is how Paul described a similar thing. He said, To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, we labor, working with our hands, when reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul is saying when you start acting like men in the faith, when you start standing for what is right and standing firm and being watchful and alert against the enemy, you become a target. Paul says he was a target. The people in his church, his religious day, not in his church, but the people in Judaism hated him because he broke with 4,000 years of tradition. 4,000 years of Jewish tradition and he broke from it. I mean, we're not just talking about getting rid of the organ. (laughs) We're talking about 4,000 years of tradition that the Paul was breaking away from and leading the Christian church away from. He was obedient not to, to God and not to men. He listened to what God, and he feared God and what God would have him do. He did not fear the Jews and what they were threatening to do to him. He didn't care about their approval. He raised the bar of faith and he called people out when they were apathetic. People who were too comfortable or people who were too afraid of the mission. Paul, People hated Paul for that, but he acted like a man and he persevered and he became a target. And we have some of those men here who have stood firm and stood strong in the face of opposition and have done what they felt God was leading them to do. And we have godly fathers and godly grandfathers and men and mentors who have stood firm coming alongside younger men to lead them in the way that was right. And that is a legacy of victory that Lakeside has, that we have to continue. The admonition of Paul, our admonition today, men, is to continue that legacy of victory. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. And these are my words preaching up here. I don't say these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. 
For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. What does he mean there? For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Paul is saying, I became a target. I became reviled, but I stood firm. He's saying to these men in Corinth, he's saying, you have lots of guides. You have lots of people giving you advice, but you don't have many people who are acting as your spiritual father. You don't have men farther down the road than you that show you how to act. Like Dan in this clip speaking to his son, William. William is looking at his father who's gone before him in manhood. And Dan is explaining to William, you've learned from me. You've got all my best parts. You're ready to be a man now. And we have spiritual fathers in our church who have gone ahead of us, who we can get the best parts of, who love us and admonish us to be men in faith. And Paul is saying, look, I'm your father. And then in verse 16, he says, be imitators of me. I've sent you Timothy, my child in the Lord, to remind you about me. Talk, you know, understand who Timothy is. Timothy was a, Timothy was a, was a, a, a man, we learn, who had a believing mother and an unbelieving father. And so Timothy is an example to us of a guy who didn't really have a spiritual father. His biological father was a Greek. We learn that he was never a believer. His mother was a believer, but his father wasn't. And so Paul then became Timothy's surrogate father, especially in the faith. And that, you know, that Paul would raise Timothy up to be a leader in the church as his own son. And he says, I've sent you Timothy, my child in the Lord, to remind you of me, to remind you of the things that I taught, to remind you of the the burden that it is upon us to be raising up sons and daughters as spiritual fathers. And then Paul speaks to this disobedient people in Corinth. He says, I'm coming with power. These people who are making lots of talk, but do they have any power? When I come, I'm coming in power. Shall I come to you with a rod or shall I come to you with love and a spirit of gentleness? And this is part of our acting like men. This is part of our spiritual fatherhood. That there are times when we have to stand firm. There are times when we have to stand tough. There are times when we have to be loving, but also firm. And Paul says that. Will I come to you with a rod or will I come to you with a spirit of gentleness? And even in the church, it's not all gentleness all the time. As much as it is up to us to be at peace with people, we can't be at peace all the time. But Paul and Peter and Jesus too, godly men, godly leaders, stand firm and they stand firm in obedience to the leadership that God has called them to. And so when we act like men, a part of this is sort of built into us. We understand that it's without compromise, that it's about toughness too. I remember my father, my own father. This is actually, I just realized, my first Father's Day sermon since he died three years ago. That could be why I was grumpy this week. (laughs) Uh, But I remember my dad. He would be explaining to me and my brothers something that it was our responsibility, something that we were supposed to do. And uh, I use this as an illustration, I think, of us in the church and us as fathers in our families. But we weren't doing it. We were supposed to be doing it and we weren't doing it. Or perhaps he was pointing out an aspect of our life that needed some correction and some part of our character that needed adjustment. This is my dad teaching us as brothers, as his sons. And we continued to fight with him or complain or just to disobey. And he would calmly remind us that at the moment he was using his words to instruct us. But if his words didn't get the job done, then he could use his belt. And it was up to us which form of instruction was going to be profitable. And 
my dad never argued with me, and uh, I only remember him raising his voice maybe twice. He never needed to raise his voice. There was no need for him to yell as long as we could see that he had his belt on. And, uh, but this is what Paul is saying here. When you look at the nature and the character of Paul as a spiritual father, he says, I am coming to you. Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Paul is saying, I'm coming in power and I can come to you with the belt or I can come to you in love and gentleness and teaching. When the belt is required, then it needs to be used. And so, as men, Paul can admonish and can say, be spiritual fathers and be tough spiritual fathers when you need to be. Fourthly, be strong. Our strength comes from the Lord, it says in 1 Corinthians 1.8, who will sustain us to the end. Paul is saying that men are to be powerful. Men are to be strong. Men are to stand firm. Dr. Philip Brooks from Trinity Church, I was reading a prayer of his as I was looking for prayers for fathers, and he had this prayer. And his prayer is, or his instruction in prayer, is not to pray for easy lives, but pray to be stronger men. And don't pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for power equal to your tasks. And I thought that was very profound. That as men, a manly prayer is not to pray for an easy life, but to pray that we're stronger to face our life. To not pray for easy tasks or the tasks that match our strength, but to pray for strength that match our tasks. And this would be Paul's admonition too in being strong. That as men, we are to be strong. That we are to bear up under the temptation. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that 13.10, sorry, I'm dyslexic. 13.10, uh, he says um, that as we're tempted maybe to fall away, that God will give us the strength to bear up, to endure under that temptation. And so as men, we need to be strong, Paul says. This is part of our character as men, to be strong. To not look for easy way outs, to not look for easy lives, but to look for strength to match our lives and to match our tasks. And strength can look different for guys, as I was thinking about this. Strength can be uh, walking away from your friends when your life changes. You know, having a lifestyle of, you know, maybe partying and or even just sports and distraction. And you feel God calling you to something else and you having to say to your friends, you know what, I'm not into that anymore. I'm not into that lifestyle anymore. And having the strength to walk away from that and do what God would call you to do. Or strength can look different in your family. Having the strength to step forward and say, this is what we believe as a family because it's in Scripture, and so this is the direction, and this is the character we're going to build, and this is what we're going to do as a family. Even in the opposition maybe to grown children or younger children, in opposition to the family around you, to aunts or uncles or even your own parents, you need to just be strong to stand firm in something. So strength can look different to people. Strength can be the strength to give up an addiction or to give up a way of life or to just give up uh, your preferences in order to serve God and serve your family. That's strength. And Paul says, be strong. And then he says, do it all in love. The Apostle Paul here says, look, you Corinthians, you guys have some issues and we've dealt with your issues in the past, so here's what you need to do. Be alert, be firm, act like men, be strong. But then he says, do it all in love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 
the chapter on love, Paul explains that if he is without love, even if he is fully mature in every respect of the Christian life, if he is giving everything away to the needy, if he is speaking in tongues with the tongues of angels and praying to God in, in the language of heaven, even if he gives up his life for his faith, if he's doing all of these things even to the extreme of spiritual maturity, but he does any of them without love, then it's meaningless. It's of no value. And so Paul says, men, be men, be firm, be strong, be alert, be watchful, but do it in love. Do all these things in love, or they're meaningless. Scripture says that God is love, and therefore love must be all the things that God is. So love is firm, and love is strong, and love is protective, and love is persistent. It's just, it's self-sacrificing, love is faithful, Love is as manly as God is. Love is Abraham leading a posse to rescue Lot and his family. Right? You remember that? Love is a full night of fighting in the dark with Jacob. Love is Samson's one-man war against the oppression of the Philistines. Love is Joseph's diligent work as an overseer in Egypt to save millions during a famine. Love is David's elite fighting force of mighty men defending their kingdom. Love is Christ laying down His own life for the world. Love is all of these things. Paul says, look, you are men. Act like men. Don't be ashamed of being men. Be strong. Stand firm. Protect your family. Protect your church. You may have to knock some heads from time to time to do it like I do, but do it all in the motive of love. Men desire to be men of character who pass on that character to their sons. That's why they write these movies this way. That's why when you watch a movie clip like that of a Western or, or some other movie, men desire to be men of character who pass on that character to their sons. The hero Dan was watchful. He saw the temptation. He stood firm to his mission when tempted. He was strong where Butterfield and others were weak. In short, he acted like a man and he modeled it for his son William, who was watching. Men, your sons and daughters are always watching. He showed William what it meant to be a man when the chips were down and justice had to be done. And at Lakeside, we need our men to act like men for the integrity of the church. We need our men to act like men for the generations that follow. We need our men to act like men for our own sons and daughters to follow. And like the Apostle Paul, to be surrogate fathers and spiritual uncles for boys who need to become men. Men must lead as men standing firm and being strong in love. It's what we must do for the church, and it's what we must do for our family. And so it's a bit of a call-out, guys. It's a bit of a challenge, men, to be men. The church needs you. Your family needs you. We need you here doing VBS. We need you here painting the basement or cleaning up the mess. We need you here at Bible studies. We need you leading Bible studies. We need our men to be mentoring other younger men, to be going out for coffee, to be turning off the game and spending time teaching. We need our men to be leading our families, to be doing more than just praying for dinner, but to be leading them in Bible studies or to be bringing them alongside them in ministry so that they're participating in ministry with us. We need our children to see us in ministry. Otherwise, how will our children ever want to be ministers in service of the Lord if we never minister and, and model that? So yeah, I'm kind of calling you out, men, to be men. I'm calling you out... To do, it's, it's only two verses. It's only a dozen words here. It's really simple. 
Just, just do these things as Paul would have you do them. To be watchful. To stand firm. To act like men. To be strong. And to do it all in love. To be men of God for Lakeside. The statistics for the church are just like the statistics for the family that Elder Graham mentioned. The way the church goes, goes with the men of the church. And when the men of the church fail, all these issues start to rise up. Not that women aren't as important, but they can't do it alone. And as men fall away, fall away in the church, so the church falls away. The, social issue, the issues in the church are like the social issues in society. As fathers disappear, problems arise. And so men, let's be men. Let's pray. Father God, give you thanks for your word. Just pray your blessing upon it. It's a lot to absorb, but the message is simple and clear. Act like men. And we need to wake up from our lethargy. We need to wake up from our compromise. We need to be guarding and watchful. We need to stand firm. We need to be strong. And most of all, Lord, we need to be loving in all of it. Without love, it's meaningless. Without love, it's purposeless. And so, Father, I would just pray a special prayer now for myself and for the men of this church that we could take these verses to heart, that we could take the admonition of the Apostle Paul to heart, that we would know what it is to be men and we would act like men, and that we would have a legacy of victory for our children to follow. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul spoken to our fathers, but we have our ultimate example of father in uh, our heavenly father. And uh, we're going to stand and sing how deep the father's love for us. <laughs>